Welcome to The Call, men's Bible study with men's expert and pastor, Kenny Luck. Have you ever heard the expression, living a parallel life? You know, it's when two different people are living in different spaces and are experiencing the same things in their lives. This is a story of Samson and Samuel in the Bible. From their miraculous births to their divine callings to their eventual positions of influence, these two guys are living parallel lives within God's community. But like many men today who live within the community of faith, our public identity often conflicts with our private demons and realities. The flesh is at war with the spirit. Our old nature is at war with our new nature. Our identity in Christ calls for integrity of actions. These are battles Samson Samuel fought, and so will you. Now, before we join Kenny for today's message, please take a moment to share this video. Now, let's go live from Crossline Church in Laguna Hills, California, for part two of More of That. Good morning, men. If you have a Bible, you'll want to kind of hold a spot in Judges chapter 15 and 1 Samuel 7. We're in a series called More of That. And uh, to start off today's uh, message, I don't know, how many of you guys remember a campaign connected to a basketball player named Michael Jordan called Like Mike? Remember that? Like Mike, I want to be like Mike. <laughs> It's where you have, you have a, lot of, a lot of players who played, like probably a lot of us in the room, maybe we played a little basketball in high school or, or whatever, and then fewer players make it to college, fewer players make it to the NBA, and even though you make it to the NBA, the fewest players become legends, and of course, that was Michael Jordan, whose brand is very alive and well. Uh, in, in today's culture. But you know what I remember about that campaign is that uh, he was so good that little boys in their driveways and wherever they played basketball, they tried to imitate Michael. You know, there was this aspiration, and when there was aspiration, there was imitation. Okay? Everybody say aspiration, aspiration. and imitation. Yeah, when, when young men see someone that they admire, uh, they seek to imitate. And in the Bible, uh, there's a chapter of the Bible where there is def God definitely says, here is a chapter of aspiration and imitation, and it's Hebrews chapter 11. It's, uh, it's commonly referred to as the Hall of Faith. You know, the NBA has the Hall of Fame. The Bible has the Hall of Faith. And in this, in this chapter, uh, we're, we're, we're looking at people just like you and I, who walked with God and who knew God and who reached moments of their lives where they had, they had to take a risk for God. And, and they're, it's there as examples for us. And so in this series, more of that, that's kind of what we're doing. We're looking back and we're seeing examples in the Bible of men where it's very clear uh, that, that God would be saying to us by example and in direct word, hey, guys, aspire to that, Im imitate that. And so um, last time we looked at Cain and Abel, and we just, just two guys, two brothers uh, in a family, and, and we saw that, that one brother brought his very best to God. The other brother was confronted by God about the motives of his heart in his walk with the Lord. And uh, he chose the wrong path, and so we, we aspired to more of Abel and less of Cain, giving God our very best. In today's study, we're going to look at Samson 
and Samuel, two men chosen to lead in the community of faith. Um, these guys are famous characters in the Bible. You, you know, even if, if, you, if you weren't a follower of Jesus growing up, you might have heard of Samson because he's known for his what? Strength. That's right, his physical strength. Movies have been made about Samson, okay? Uh, he was very strong, but he was also very weak in a certain area of his life, right? And then uh, Samuel, very similar background. Right, similar uh, origins, similar call on his life, similar uh, position in the community of faith. And so, what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of look at Samson and Samuel and see their similarities, but then you're going to see a glaring difference. And then we're going to look at it and say, "Hey, less of that and more of that." But let's let's look at some of the similarities between Samson and Samuel, and then we'll unpack some themes that God wants us to look at, all right? The first theme uh, with Samson and Samuel is that both men were men of promise. You can write that down. Both men were men of promise. They were miracle men, all right? Both of their mothers were infertile over the long course of their life, and then God spoke to them and said, hey, you're going to have a kid. I'm going to answer your prayer. The angel of the Lord appears to both of these mothers and said, you know what? You're going to have a baby this baby is going to be dedicated to God, and they're going to live for God. So these men were men of promise. In um, Judges chapter 13, we have the actual words of the man of God who speaks to the wife of Manoah, who's going to give birth to Samson. He says, you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now, a Nazarite is uh, a man who's, like it says right there, dedicated to God. Everybody say dedicated to God. Dedicated to God. All right? So he's a Nazarite from the womb. The, the, the man of God says to the woman, he's going to be dedicated to God from the womb. They're dedicated to what? To live purely and to be totally yielded to God. Because they're going to lead other people, all right? Now, Samuel, um, Samuel's mom, Hannah, very famous woman in the Bible, uh, she said this, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I have asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. Let's finish it together. For his whole life will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. So uh, both of these men are men of promise, all right, God had a very specific calling and intention uh, for their life. Secondly, both were men of strength. Write that down. Both were men of promise and both were men of strength. As they grow, they grow into their strengths and their strengths begin to manifest. We read about Sam Samson's strength in Judges 15. He's coming up on a group of, uh, actually he's, he's been captured uh, and he's been bound, and uh, he's in a group of Philistines, and it says this, as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, okay, and they're coming to get him, all right? And then it says this, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax. In other words, uh, they became very weak. And the bindings dropped from his hands, 
Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and what? And struck down a thousand men. Not bad. I mean, um, you know, this is Russell Crowe meets the Terminator meets, you know, this guy's, this guy's a, bad, a bad hombre with a jawbone of a donkey. I mean, he just starts going at it. And, uh, but this is typical of Samson. Again, the promise was is that he was going to lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Right now, when it comes to Samuel, he was also a man of strength, but listen for his strength. Okay? The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. Let's finish it together. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word, and Samuel's word came to all Israel. So we have two different kinds of strengths, don't we? We have the Spirit of the Lord coming upon Samson in physical power, all right? And it's a, it's a, it's a military strength. It's, it's flashy. It's sexy. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're a dude and you look at this guy, it's just like, oh, my gosh, all right? This guy is a warrior. Well, Samuel was also a warrior. Samuel was also a Nazarite. Samuel also was a judge in Israel. Samuel also fought, but his strength was in the word of the Lord. And you'll see that come around uh, in his ministry. So both were men of promise. Both were men of strength. Third, both were men of influence. Now here's where the stories begin to diverge. Okay? You have all these similarities. They're men of promise. They're men of strength. They're men of influence. They have the same exact position. They live in different eras, one just before the other. Samson just before Samuel. So they have all these similarities. And so... Uh, Let's read about about Samson and kind of his legacy. It says this, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Next sentence. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength. And how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and sub- subdue him. See, Samuel, I mean, Samson was a, was a problem for the Philistines physically, okay? He was always routing them. He was an issue. Now, it says that he was a leader, but also he was a leader with a flaw, all right? And lest you think that you're separate from Samuel, you're just like him. Because we all have, there's the champ and the chump inside. Amen? I mean, and we're one step away from the chump. Okay? So we're, we're built like Samson. We have the potential of Samuel. But you know, here's a clear example of a man so used by God who can also sin and sin blatantly. Okay? And we see this in every area, in every era of men. You can have a person who their heart's like, okay, I want to be used by God, but then in, in, in some way they, what they do is, and, and we do it as well, they do what so many of us do is that we put our life into categories, right? We compartmentalize and we say, God cares a lot about this, but he doesn't care so much about that. And what it is is, is where we rationalize, right? Which is actually two words in one word, rational what? 
Lies, right. You guys know it because you've done it, all right? Where we talk to ourselves and we convince ourselves that Jesus has a claim over parts of our life, but he doesn't have claim over all of my life, which is a rational lie, all right? Where we justify behaviors and actions and attitudes that we know that are out of line. I mean, Samson was a Nazarite. Samson had the law. Samson knew uh, what was taught in his community of faith and how to express love for God. And, and going and spending nights with prostitutes as a leader of the community of faith was not one of them. But he did what we all do. We put our life into categories where we kind of write ourselves a hall pass and we excuse our behavior in certain areas and we just keep going and there's this duality to us where, okay, we're a follower of Jesus, but then we have this, this area of our lives that we just don't want to give up. And so then we have a little discussion between the ears and we rationalize and justify and excuse that area and let ourselves continue to do that. That was, that was Samson. Samuel, on the other hand, uh, while not perfect, um, he went a different route, and his influence and legacy took, a, took on a different character. It says this, throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines. Let's finish it together. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. Now, you just see kind of a trajectory shift. You know, you have two guys who led Israel for a while, all right? One lived compartmentalized, and he was... Fully a leader, but also fully diving into sin at the same time. And then you have Samuel, and what we see in him is just a little more consistency. And it's, and it's interesting that his consistency was connected to his calling to God's word. There's a lesson there uh, for us, all right? So there's the setup. There's the foundation. There's Samson. There's Samuel. They're men of promise. They're men of strength. They're men of influence, but one man's influence is totally diluted, and one is totally concentrated and is effective. So here are some issues, just based on who these guys are, that God would, would want us to look at. And the first thing that God wants us to look at, based on their example, is, number one, my view of God's authority. My view of God's authority. Can I ask you a question? Just you can answer it in your own mind. What's your view of God's authority in your life? Or maybe the question is, what is your reference point of authority in your life? Does God have authority in your life? Does he have claim over your entire life? Your outer life, your business life, your relationship life, your married life, your attitudes, your passions, your heart? You see, we have to ask that question because God sets himself up to be one with total claim and authority in your life. First of all, because he's creator and you are what? Created, right? He's the vine, you're the what? He's the potter and you're the what? He's the shepherd and you're the? Okay, one person is in the A position and we are in the what? The B position. That's right. But you know what? It's so interesting and arrogant that we flip that equation. 
And that's what Samson did. Samson put himself in the A position and he put God in the B position. It's like, I'll follow you in these ways, but in this area, I'm God. Unless we divorce ourselves from Samson, we do the very same thing. And it can be in some of our behaviors, it can be some of the attitudes that we carry. We just forget who he is and who we are. You see, when the law was given, when God begins to give the law, he puts some parameters around, hey, when I speak, all right, I speak not everything, but some things, and when I speak some things, when I give it to you, you're to receive it and apply it. Everybody say, receive and apply. Receive and apply. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, it's not on your notes, but you might want to write it down, it says this, the secret things belong to God, right? So there's God, and he has all this wisdom, and he's, he's here, and then he says, but that which is revealed belongs to us. So God revealed his will in the law to Moses, to the community of faith. So the secret things belong to God, but that which is revealed now belongs to us that we may follow, and say that we may follow, that we may follow all the words of this law. Samson had this law, and so did Samuel. But there was a, a wrong view on Samson's part of God's authority. When God spoke, it was not for uh, obedience, it was for consideration. It was advice. Hey, thanks, God. I'll, I'll take that under advisement. But when it's inconvenient for me or isn't consistent with kind of what I want in the moment, I'm going to do what I want, and then sometimes I'm going to do what you want. Okay, that's not what the Bible says. And in Deuteronomy chapter 29, same chapter, it talks about this mentality and mindset that is so disastrous. Look at what it says. In the context of the giving of God's word, Look at this commentary. It says this. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today, whose heart turns away from the Lord, our God, to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such what? Bitter poison. When such a person, let's finish it together. When such a person hears the words of this oath and they invoke a blessing on themselves thinking, I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way, they will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. In other words, their disaster is going to go everywhere they go. But do you see the mindset and the mentality? It's sort of like we give ourselves, we bless ourselves to disobey God. It is, a, it is a catastrophe in, in, that, that's in the waiting, right? And we see this in Samson, where he was fully a leader, fully a Nazarite, did all the external things, but then he had this little area of his life where he invoked a blessing on himself and said, yeah, I'll just persist in going my own way. He said the same thing that, that, that it says here, oh, I'll be saved, even though I persist in going my own way. And it brought disaster to his life. Now, when it comes to God's authority, all we have to do is look at God's word. Because God speaks with authority through his word. Look what it says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Ready? Let's read it together. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Aren't you glad we got a playbook? 
We got the playbook. God has spoken. God has spoken through creation. God has spoken through Jesus Christ. God has spoken through his word. Everybody say through his word. My question is, what is your relationship to his spoken word in the Bible? See, that's what we're doing right now. We are here early in the morning having a little sausage and hash browns and coffee, and we're sitting around tables, and we're opening God's word because we believe that it is God-breathed. God speaks through this book, and it's useful, okay, for what? The Bible says, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, all right? Let's say those words, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training. One more time, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training. That's what we're all doing. This is God's gym, man. We're here, and we, we open God's word, and we surrender to what it says because we're in the B position, and God speaks, and it teaches us, and it corrects us, and it realigns us, and it, sometimes it rebukes us, and it stings, but we're like, yeah, okay, I do, you're right, you're God, and it trains us on how to be a man of God. Samson had a low view of God's authority because he had a low view of what? God's word. What is your view of God's word? Do you have a high view or a low view? of God's word. Does it speak with clarity and does it speak with authority into your life? So the question when it comes to God's authority is this, who gets to decide? Who gets to decide in your life? You know, this was the problem in the garden, you know, this, you know, Adam and Eve thought, okay, I'll listen to, you know, the guy who said, did God really say Oh, he's just, he just knows that if you disobey him, that, he, that your mind's going to be open up. And, and the liar stokes FOMO, all right? You're going to miss out if you listen to God. Same playbook. And they let, they let the devil influence them and lie to them and, and speak into their fear of missing out. And then God stopped deciding. So who gets to decide? My feelings? In Samson's case, his crotch? My fears, my circumstances, my friends, my impulses, my discontentment, my culture, or God's word. That is what the word of the Lord is saying this morning to you. God is asking you, who gets to decide in your life? What is your view of my authority? And I can tell a man's view of God's authority by his view of God's word. So that's the first thing. God wants us to look at our view of God's authority and where can we look in our lives to get a read on that, just look at your relationship with his word. When Jesus prayed for us in John 17, he said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Okay, so we all have to have, if you want to serve the Lord and you want to be a man of influence and you want to have a healthy legacy for Christ before you leave earth, you need to have a strong relationship with God's word because that has authority for the man of God. Secondly, God wants us to look at our passions and disciplines. Very simple. Samson had a passion, and it was for the ladies. He had a passion. He had a sexual passion, no doubt. And he would wander around. When you read, the, when you read about Samuel, it's sort of like, well, he lived in Timnah. He was a, he was a Timnite, but then you find him kind of Kind of like wandering the, wandering the valleys and roads and w w looking for women, you know? And like he says to his dad early in the story, just like, hey, I see a Philistine woman, I want her. Go get her for me. Literally, tells his dad, go get her for me, right? And then he's, he's in another area, and then, you know, he, he sees visually a woman, 
And he's just like, okay, I want to sleep with her. And then later on, you know, he, he sees Delilah, who lives in the valley of Sorek, all right, which is on the border between Israel and, Philist- and, and, and Philist- the Philistines. And he's kind of wandering around there, and he sees her. All right? But we pursue things that we perceive uh, are a benefit, and we just have to guard our hearts. So God wants to look at our passions and disciplines, because whatever your passion is, you'll discipline yourself around that passion. All right, look at what it says the passion in our lives should be. 1 Timothy 4.8, let's read that together. Ready? For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. God says that if you're going to push all your chips into one table, I mean right into the middle of the table, you're going to throw a bet down and just lay it all down. Push all your chips into the center of the table for godliness, because you can't lose. You just can't lose. It holds promise for this life, and it holds life, uh, it holds promise for the life to come. And you know what? I like the contrast, because, you know, um, we're, we're, we live in the West. It's a culture of, of health and gyms and physical uh, fitness and so forth, which I'm totally for, but you have to have a filter uh, on what is, what is profitable, which the Bible says physical fitness is profitable. There is a profit there, but compared to godliness, okay, compared to character, all right, um, it's, it, it's, the, it's apples and oranges, all right? And so we got to watch, what is, what is our passion? Is our passion for godliness or is it for something else? Because we all have energy. The question is, what has command of our energy, all right? And that whatever has command of our energy Really, re- reveals our passions, all right? What it says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, let's read that together. But godliness with contentment is great gain. It's really interesting that contentment is hard in a society that feeds discontentment, amen? We live in a society that feeds discontentment. It feeds discontentment because it's always throwing us images and goals and aspirations that get us thinking about our life compared to the lives of other people. And comparison kills contentment. Let's say that together. Comparison kills contentment. But we all do it. We all do it. When we're in conflict with our spouse, we look at other people and just say, well, I bet you his marriage is better than my marriage. Or, you know, we, guys, that's what we do, man. It's just like the playground, except for we're, we're big boys now, and we have big boy responsibility and big money or whatever, and we compare ourselves uh, just like we did on the playground in elementary school, and we're kind of looking and seeing who's winning. And then we compare ourselves to that person in whatever category they're winning. All of a sudden, it kills our contentment and gratitude over what we have now. And we look at, at, at Samson and Samuel... And God just wasn't enough for Samson. Jesus wasn't enough. God wasn't enough. And there's some of us that are, that are listening to the sound of my voice right now. And God would be saying, am I enough for you? Am I enough? Am I son enough? Is your sins forgiven, a home in heaven, and a purpose for living enough? Is it enough that you're made by me, and you're made for me, and you're coming to me? Is it enough Or do you need more? Because that will attack your contentment. That's why every day it's just a great passion and discipline to just say hello to the Lord every day. This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. And then to begin thanking God 
for the different things in my life, the people in my life, my spouse, my kids, gas in the tank, uh, a thermos with coffee in it that's waking me up to come teach the Bible with you guys. You know, it's the little things. And when you see what would be a good strategy of the devil to kill your contentment and then to get you off into the weeds, it would, to, it would be to make you ungrateful. Some of you right now, the Spirit of the Lord is speaking into your cynicism and lack of gratitude for what God has given you. Sometimes we forget to thank God for the things that we do have instead of seeing with that. We have that gap filter on. We live in the gaps. If you're living in the gaps today, God's word to you today is to stop living in the gaps and start living gratefully. But we have to watch our passions and our discipline. So the question is, all right, is godliness defeating worldliness or selfishness in my life? Now, when Samson got into the weeds, okay, so here he is. He's a leader in the community of faith. He's a Nazarite. He knows the Lord. He prays to the Lord. He asks God for special power at special times. But then his selfishness, his self-gratification takes over his godliness and defeats him and causes a lot of problems in the community of faith. It's interesting, when Samson dies, his family shows up. When Samuel dies, all Israel showed up. Both were in the same position. Both led Israel for a long time, all the days of their life. A few people showed up, and all Israel showed up. So we got to watch our passions and disciplines, all right? Next theme is we got to look at my controlling inner forces. Write that down. My controlling inner forces. You know, you hear me always talk about in this Bible study, the chump and the champ. I mean, there's, there's a chump just underneath the champ in Christ in my life. And he whispers things and he puts thoughts into my head and I'm just like, man, I know, I know that guy. He's a loser. Because he tries to get me to think things that are so selfish. Give me self-importance, self-gratification, self-preservation, self-protection. And that voice feeds my mind and I have a decision to make. Can I throw gas on that voice or is there another voice that's God's voice that's telling me not to do the selfish thing and compromise my relationship with God, but to do the godly thing and invest in my relationship with God? Why? Because it holds promise for this life and for the next life. So I don't know about you, but I'm at war. Amen? I'm at war on the inside. There are forces inside of me that are completing and conflicting, and the Bible tells us exactly what those forces are. It says this, so I say, Paul says to the Galatians, walk by the Spirit, circle that, the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the what? Flesh. So the spirit and the flesh. These are the two controlling inner forces. They are both competing for your energy, for your time, for your passion, for your discipline. Look at what Paul says. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do, circle the next three words, whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, which means you're not under an obligation. The, f the acts of the flesh are obvious. Here we go. 
Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Man, those are powerful words. See what's at stake? Your inheritance in the kingdom of God. Who wins? You know, who wins? The question is, am I led, controlled, and empowered by the Holy Spirit? Can you answer that question with security and definition this morning? Am I led, am I controlled, and am I empowered by God's Holy Spirit? Um, why, why do I need to be led, controlled, and empowered by the Holy Spirit? Because the Bible says, if you're not walking by the Spirit, if you're not led, controlled, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, you will gratify the desires of your flesh. That's the bottom line. So the issue is control. Let's say that together. The issue is control. The issue is control. And God, once we have crossed the line and said yes to the person and work of Jesus Christ for us, the Bible says that God deposits the spirit of his son into our lives. It's like that, that Hertz rental car navigation system called Never Lost. You're never lost now. It's in. And now it's planted in, and now all you have to do is activate and listen. The Holy Spirit is in you. The question is, are you activating the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life, and are you listening? You say, what am I listening for? Any impression, any prompting that encourages you to do that thing that shows love for God and people. You know, it's not a mysterious thing. It's, all right, that's going to show love for God and people. Is that the Holy Spirit, yes or no? Yes, you do not have to question that. Your conscience works with, your, with the Holy Spirit. God planted a conscience in you, and then when you became a Christian, put the Holy Spirit inside of you, and then you throw gas on it. When you hear words of the Spirit that fuel the voice of the Spirit in your life, you get to know God, and God begins to speak to you in moments and says, hey, do this, don't do that. So you got to look at your controlling forces. The controlling force in Samson's life was his flesh. It's very evident. And man, it got him into a lot of trouble. It ruined a lot of lives. And at the, you know what's actually kind of encouraging is that he was a man of God. He is listed in the Hall of Faith. Okay? Samson's exploits for God are well known, and there's positive and negative. All right? That's true of all of us. All right? None of us are perfect. All of us fight the same battle. You know? we, we, we struggle not to indulge our flesh. I do. I don't know about you. But I, I struggle not to try to compare and impress people. I struggle with living in a society that, that, that assigns social capital to material wealth. Okay? These are all common among men. But if we're walking by the Spirit and we're content in God and we're surrendered to His authority, God starts telling us who we are, not the world. Amen? Okay? And that's your battle. So you've got to watch your controlling inner forces. And you've got to get the Holy Spirit on board right away. You've got to activate and listen right away. Just as you guys pick up your phone and activate whatever app on your phone, okay, there's a metaphor for you. How about we activate the Holy Spirit through prayer in our lives, and let's get in sync with the Holy Spirit every day. Next, you got to look at your definition of greatness. Got to look at your definition of greatness. Clearly, Samson 
connected greatness with physical victory. Why? Because he used the gift that God had given him. All right? Sam, Samuel, on the other hand, was just available to God. And when he was with people, he brought the word of God. Now, there's no distinction, okay? God, God gave Samson physical strength. He used that gift. All right? Samuel was given uh, a spiritual gift of preaching the word. None of his words ever fell to the ground. What an amazing thing. All right? But in the end, when you look at their lives, one man's gift did serve God, but then uh, his weakness also, his physical fleshly weakness also hurt a lot of people. Okay? Samuel's gift uh, he used to build up and edify people. So we have to look at our definition of greatness. And what I love about the Bible and what I love about Jesus Christ is that he tells us exactly how to be great. All right? Look at what it says in Matthew 25, verse 21. Let's, let's read that together. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Circle good and faithful. Right? Be a good and faithful servant. Be a good and faithful servant to Jesus. And hopefully that's enough because it is enough in heaven. That's the definition of greatness. And the definition of greatness that is the best definition is the one that you take with you from this life to the next life. Right? The Bible says in Matthew 12, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. Good things come out of the good man because of the good that's in him. Evil things come out of the evil man because of the evil that's in him. All right? So those inner forces, those inner things, your heart, guarding your heart, feeding your heart and mind and soul with God's word, putting fuel on the fire, your relationship with the Holy Spirit, your inner forces, God's authority being number one in your heart. And then that leading to actions that create goodness and faithfulness. Look at what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. Let's read that together. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Right, you have energy words there. All right? I had a college student who read my book, Fight, and it says, how come you use so much military language? And it's such, such, such like, uh, it's, it's, there's so much conflict in there. And I was just like, really? Pick up this book. Earth is a fist fight in a phone booth. It is up close. It is personal. Earth is never presented as a place where we're on the yellow brick road and life is a bowl of cherries. Jesus was honest. He said, in this world, you're going to have what? Tribulation. You're going to have trouble. All right? There's spirit versus flesh. There's God versus Satan. We are on the winning team. The call is to fight what? The good fight of the faith. That's, is, that's an explosion of energy. When you get in a fight and it's just like, all right, here we go, you see an explosion of energy. And, and the Bible says, fight the good fight of the faith. And many of us were like, okay, yeah, I can, I can fight the good fight of the faith on Sunday. I can fight the good fight of the faith at Bible study on Thursday morning. No, you fight the good fight of the faith in the most meaningful ways when you're just with yourself, when you're in private, 
your private thoughts, the real you. That's where you find heart, soul, mind, and strength. Those are all inner things. That's where it gets fought. All right, so we gotta, we got to look at what our definition of greatness question is. At the end of my life, what do I want people who knew me to save me? What's my definition of greatness? What will they say? He had three vacation homes. He drove this car. He had built a great business. And not talk about your relationships with God and people. I'll tell you, I do funerals. The best funerals are the ones where a guy fought the good fight of the faith. Because when he's fighting the good fight of faith, he's fighting the good fight of the relationships in his life with God and with people. And God and people are in heaven, and all that other stuff isn't. And that's where it gets meaningful. But we got to redefine our definition of greatness. Now, Samson has a legacy. He's in the hall of faith, all right? But that doesn't mean that we don't look back and we go, wow, but how much greater could he have been? You know, and I think that's a lot of us in the room. And we're here because we, we're men of God and we want to be. But how much greater if we fight the good fight of the faith and we defeat that demon that is defeating us in the power of the Holy Spirit? Amen? Go after it, man. Get, get after it. All right, last thing we're going to look at is, is my leadership example. Now, some people, when they hear me say leadership, they go, well, I'm not a leader. Do you interact with people? If the answer is yes, you are leading. The question is not, am I a leader or do I have influence? The question is, what kind of influence am I having? Every man has influence. Why? Because you don't live in a vacuum. You make choices that impact other people. And so the question is, who's in the blast zone of your influence? Who do you interact with? Who's in the blast zone of your influence that, that is, is there your blast zone positive or negative? And we have a, such a clear example, not just in the Samson-Samuel thing. We can glean a few things, all right? Now, here's a guy who, who really, you know, we know. Who, who, who was at the funeral, man? All Israel and a small group of people, all right? That's a pretty decent sign of earthly influence, okay? Who shows up? And what do they say, all right? But in the Bible, in Philippians chapter 2, we, we have the leadership example, all right? And it's Jesus. Here's the, the admonition and the command. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others. Circle that. Just value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another. Circle relationships with one another. Here we go. It's God and people. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God, listen, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, let's finish it together, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Wow. See what happens when a man is secure in God, what a man can do? When you think of Jesus, you have to put two words together that you would assign to no one else. Servant, king. And his authority and status actually empowered him to serve others, not have others serve him. 
It's a paradigm shift, isn't it? Especially in the era of toxic masculinity, right? Where now the American Psychological Association says that traditional masculinity is a mental disorder. Okay? They're so, they're in such, I don't know what world they live in. Strength is not the issue. Compassion and character with your strength. Or when you don't have compassion and character with your strength is the issue. Amen? Amen. Samson had strength. Samuel had strength. But there was something different going on in the inner man that hijacked or took control of that strength and influence that they had for God and with the community of faith. So here's the question. Does my security in Christ allow me to serve others like Christ did? Jesus Christ was secure in the Father. That means he didn't care what other people thought. So that means he would break the rules when compassion or God's word demanded it. And he didn't care what you thought about him. Why? Because he was secure in the Father. Let's say that. Secure in the Father. Are you so secure in the Father? You know that you're from God, that you're made by God, that you're loved by God, that you're going to God, which should equal a level of inner security. You're so inwardly secure in the Father that you are free not to care about pleasing men, but to put all your energy into pleasing God. That's a secure man. And that's the question this morning. We look at Samson and Samuel, and we go, wow. Look at these guys, men of promise, men of strength, men of influence. I'm looking at guys in the room. You're men of promise, you're men of strength, and you're men of influence. You are the same guys as these guys. But man, different stories, how they, how they worked that out in their lifetime before they went back to the Lord. And so please, listen to the Spirit of the Lord. Look at what is my view of God's authority in my life? What, what are the driving passions and disciplines of my life? Is it godliness? What are the controlling inner forces? Am I empowered by God's Spirit? What is my definition of greatness? All right? And then what's my leadership example. God has given you influence. Don't waste it. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and ask God to do some of these things in our lives. Lord, thank you that in your word we see simple men, flawed men. We see men just like us. Lord, you created us with promise too. You gave us strength and you gave us the capacity to leave a footprint on earth before we come back to you. We came from you and we're going back to you. And so Lord, right now in this moment, with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, to a man, would you say to God, God, today you have total authority in my life. Would you confess the areas of your life where you have taken that authority away from Jesus and would you give it back to him? Would you repent of that area of your life where you have categorized yourself as God in that area and then just say, God, it's all yours. I'm all yours. You have total authority in my life. Holy Spirit, protect the passions and hearts of the men in this room and the men listening to us right now. Be the controlling, dominating influence in their lives. Holy Spirit, tell these men who they are. Walk with them. Help them defeat the flesh so that they don't do 
whatever the chump wants them to do or whatever the liar tries to get them to do. Help them redefine and reframe their definition of greatness, which is serving other people like you. And help it to be an area of strength where, God, we're so strong in you and in your love that we are free to forget about comparison and the opinions of our culture to live free, strong, energetic lives for Christ, serving you and serving people. In Christ's name we pray, God's men said, amen. Yo,